Right, before we start the next installment of our series about what Jesus said about himself, I need you to turn to the person next to you real quickly and ask them this question. And you've probably done this before, right? Choosing a um, fancy dress outfit, or maybe it's just one of those tedious things you have to do at work or school as part of a group exercise. But anyway, turn to them and ask them, look them straight in the eye, if you were an animal, what would you be? Go, quickly. Have we any lions? Have we, have we any pandas? Have we any peacocks? Um, maybe some of you got hedgehog, so small and a bit prickly like me. Anyway, um, so the good news is that the Bible has the definitive answer to this question. The bad news, unfortunately, is that the answer is you're a sheep. In fact, we all are. And nothing about where I grew up would make me think that was a compliment at all. They're smelly things. Um, they're not blessed with a natural means of defense. And they've got this horrible habit of sort of wandering off onto the wrong side of fences. So yeah, it's not, it's not the most complimentary thing you've ever been called. Um, and the reality is the person who, caught, who says you're a sheep is the Lord of all creation. He's the one who made all the animals. He had a, quite a range of choice and knows it quite well. Um, and not only is each of us sheep, each of us is being shepherded, so directed and pushed and shoved in different directions, because that's what happens to sheep, right? And have you noticed in a society that claims that you can do what you want, you can believe what you want, you can, so we prize this kind of individual choosing your own path. We all spend quite a lot of time being asked to follow others, and sometimes that's like really, or apparently harmless, it's like, follow me on Instagram. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, you know, like me on Facebook. And sometimes that's the unspoken price of fitting in. You know, maybe you're at school or at work or at college, and you have to behave a certain way, you have to follow a certain pattern to fit in. Maybe it's how you dress, maybe it's the people you hang out with, maybe it's how you speak, maybe it's how you behave, maybe it's the kind of stuff you buy. And sometimes it's those people that are really explicit about it, that are really open to the fact that they're shepherding you or trying to get you to follow them. So follow my diet and exercise regime and get whatever it is you get, um, whatever the fad of the day is. Or um, follow my political movement and we'll change this country or this world or this whatever. And there's so many influences in this world trying to direct you in a certain way and get you to follow them. In other words, shepherd you. Right, so quick cut to the passage we're going to read. It's autumn in the Middle East, um, just under 2,000 years ago, and there's a festival going on in Jerusalem. Um, but it's not like, you know, Glastonbury, uh, the Notting Hill Carnival. It's the, it's the Feast of Tabernacles, like tents, and it's basically all about the Jews celebrating or remembering at least the time they spent in the wilderness and live in tents. Fine. Um, and there's this massive row that's broken out between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees. And it's not, it's not a shouting match over a spilled drink either. Um, in chapter 9 of John's eyewitness account of this, it basically talks about how Jesus miraculously heals a man who's been born blind, okay? Born blind, and the religious leaders, instead of like throwing a party or um, something like that, they see their position as threatened, um, and they recognize the claims that come with it, and they respond by issuing threats to the community, interrogating the healed ex-blind man. 
They divide his family, threaten them, and boot said blind, ex-blind man out of their place of worship. Now, have you seen this before? You know, fear of what will happen to our jobs, our families, fear of what people will think, fear of missing out. The world hasn't changed that much. Our world still shepherds us with fear. But anyway, let's have a look at the response their behavior gets from Jesus in John's Gospel, chapter 10. Um, it'll probably come up behind me. But um, verse 1 says, Truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for he know, they know not the voice of strangers. So it's set out pretty clearly. Corner one, thieves and robbers. Corner two, Jesus, the good shepherd of the sheep. And then there's the, the sheep in the middle who, well, by their nature will follow someone. And he goes on to say in verse 10, the, sheep, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I'll lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. So not only does this story tell us we're sheep, it emphasizes that we live in a dangerous world, surrounded by things that destroy us, things that rob us, whether we recognize it or not, wolves and thieves, sin and its effects. The gospel is the message that the good shepherd can save us from that threat. And as Isaiah 53 says, all we like sheep have gone astray and turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord has laid upon him, that is Jesus, the iniquity of us all. Our iniquity, the wrong that we have done, puts us at a distance from God, who cannot have sin in his presence because he's so utterly holy, he's so utterly other. Yet the good shepherd dealt with sin and guilt and shame. He took the punishment we deserved. He died under the wolf's attack. His perfect life became the sacrifice for our deeply imperfect one, a straying sheep, the sacrifice of the cross. And then what does he say? John 10, 28, I will give them eternal life. In return for our straying life, I will give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. Nothing. And that includes our own failure and weakness and straying, by the way, can snatch us from the good shepherd's hand. Now, this isn't just for clean, fluffy, respectable, middle-class sheep. The Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. And there's this great story in the Bible. Well, it's a very long story in Genesis. Um, and, and Genesis talks about Jacob. Now, if you and I looked at Jacob's CV and his record, and it's all there in sort of second, or towards the end of Genesis, we'd probably say he was a bit of a scumbag, to be honest. Here's someone who stole his brother's inheritance, swindled his employers, and, I mean, the parenting was pretty terrible. It was really pretty terrible. 
And what, is, what does this man have, a, have the cheek to say at the end of his life? He's blessing his grandchildren. The God who shepherded me all my life long. He knew God as a shepherd, despite the fact that he messed up every single area of his life at one point or another. He knew that God had redeemed him from all evil. The God who'd shepherded me all my life long. So, hired hands. The Pharisee, the false shepherd. Powerless to help us answer the big questions of our human condition. They can't set us free from fear or death or shame. You know, no blog you're going to read, no self-help book. They can't help you. Doesn't matter how hard you exercise. Doesn't matter who you follow on Instagram or how many social media followers you have yourself. They can't answer the, the big questions of the fundamental issues of life. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He preferred to die the most horrible death imaginable than leave his sheep at the mercy of wolves and robbers than abandon them defenseless to sin, fear, and death and all its effects. So let's go back to the passage. Um, verse 3. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And then he goes on to say later, verse 14, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and I know me, and they know me. So not only does the good shepherd save us from sin, he saves us, he saves us to be in a relationship with him. We're not, we're not talking about some distressed tweets to a distant celebrity. We're talking about someone who knows us by name. Um, our best relationships are ones where we truly know the other person identifies with us. They actually are with us in the deepest, um, most difficult parts of our lives, and they can identify with us in it. And um, John Brown was speaking a few weeks ago really helpfully about um, suffering. And he was talking about the difference between someone who is being nice and saying nice things because they like you, but they don't know what you're going through, and they're really, and you're really struggling, and they're being nice, and they're saying nice platitudinal things, or whatever the word is, nice things anyway. And, and the difference between that and someone who's actually been there, who's actually done the going through, what, the suffering that you've gone through, and one of the reasons the Good Shepherd can have a relationship with us, can relate to us, is because he's been a sheep as well. He's been there. Isaiah 53 again, he was oppressed, and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep is dumb before her shearers, so he opened not his mouth. He knows what it's like to suffer. He knows what it's like, and he has compassion when we're harassed and helpless, and if she, we're like sheep without a shepherd. And life isn't going to get easy. Don't, don't read this wrong. Life is not going to get easy just because you start following the good shepherd. In fact, it's likely to get tougher. But Psalm 23 says, when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, he comforts us. Oswald Chambers talks about the Christian life and our relationship with the Lord Jesus not being about being saved from trouble, but saved in trouble. And I think that's it's really helpful. The good shepherd doesn't change our circumstances. But as followers, when we worship him, when we turn our hearts to him, when we glorify him despite of our circumstances, our perspective in those circumstances changes. And it's even simple things, right? So... A couple of months back, I was, um, I was heading into London for an early client meeting, and I'd pretty much been on my own um, for, for most of the project. And it was one of those ones where the client didn't really want you to be there. They were pretty ungrateful. We were working pretty hard, doing a good job-ish. 
Um, but it was horrendous, you know. And <laughs> I hadn't eaten or slept because I was under so much sort of pressure and I was having to work so hard. This was sort of a couple of days. And I, life was moving very quickly. You get home late, you get up early, and you'd lie awake at night absolutely wired about what was coming the next morning. And I remember being on the tube somewhere between Charing Cross and Edgware Road, and I just remember saying to God, I can't do this. I'm done. I can't take this anymore. I don't, it was just desperation. And I remember opening, I, I remember I stopped praying. I wasn't praying out loud, but no one would have heard me on the tube anyway because they've all got their earphones in. But um, I remember opening the, the app on my phone, random book, Psalms, random book, Psalm 102. And I'd never, I'd never consciously read it before. And it was... And there, it was just like that little line. For my days pass away like smoke. I lie awake, a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my clients, sorry, enemies, taunt me. <laughs> my days are like an evening shadow. I forget to eat my bread. I didn't realize anybody else forgot to eat their lunch because they were working so hard. Now, this described exactly how I felt. I knew this was the Good Shepherd sympathizing with me. And I read on, and there's this prophetic picture of Jesus suffering for me and you at the end of that psalm. Oh my God, take me not away in the midst of my days. You whose years endure throughout all generations. He's broken my strength in the mid-course. He's shortened my days. And it's a picture of him suffering emotional turmoil and distress. Way beyond anything I'm going to suffer at any work event or anywhere else. He can, he, I knew he could sympathize with me. Now, I still had to do the project. Um, the client was still pretty ungrateful. Um, I was still exhausted, but I drew, I drew strength in the fact that I, was, I had a deeper relationship with him as a result of that morning. And, and I came to know the one at the end of that psalm who said, who it says, who will remain, who is the same, whose years have no end, who sets free those who are doomed to die. And it changed my perspective on my circumstances. Now, following the good shepherd means you desire more and more to be in his company, to know him better, to de deepen your relationship with him. And helpfully, there are plenty of like-minded sheep. And that's what Jesus is talking about when he's saying, there is one flock, there's one shepherd. And the one flock is the local church. It's those around us who are worshipping. We're united by our love. We're united by our desire to follow the good shepherd and, and to stir each other up and to tell others about it. So the hired hand, the Pharisee, the false shepherd, cares nothing about the sheep, runs at the first sign of danger. The good shepherd saves us into his flock, saves us into relationship, and to be in a personal relationship with him. So finally, um, the good shepherd didn't sacrifice his perfect life to save his flock from the wolf, rise from the grave three days later, defeated death, save them to be in a relationship with him, put them in his flock, only for them to spend their lives being robbed by the thieves of guilt and shame and fear and addiction and rules and comparison and burnout and stress and drifting and bitterness. So what next? The thief, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they might have life and have it abundantly. The gospel is the message that we can be saved for the abundant life that the Good Shepherd offers. Abundant. What's that even mean? Uh, I, I know a church in Belfast back home that had to change their, their name away from abundant life because no one knew what they meant. Um, but anyway, that's another story. Ab 
but it means overflowing, spilling over, exciting, full of life, life to the full. A life following the Good Shepherd is the one that's fundamentally changed and fundamentally changing. And that is slow progress sometimes. It's one degree of glory to another, but we're becoming more like him. We're following him more closely. And let's be clear, that's not by trying really, 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 really hard to be a good Christian or be respectable. It doesn't work. He rose again. He broke the power of sin and death. And we're forgiven, but we're also justified. He lived the perfect life as well as dying the perfect death. And we're credited with that. There's no doing required. Instead, we walk closer with him. We become like him. You, you, what is that? It's, um, you're the sum of the five people you spend the most time with. If one of those people is Jesus, you're going to become more like him. And as that happens, what we do just changes. The Good Shepherd saves us for freedom instead of rules, demands, and expectations. The gospel tells us that we don't have to be shepherded by this, the society around us's expectations. Your comparison how you look compared to other people, how much money you have compared to other people, how nice your house is, whether you live in a nice area of southeast London or a not great area of southeast London. That doesn't apply in the kingdom of God. We, don't, we, we have been freed from the things of this society that shepherd us in ways that are not fruitful, not appropriate. And we come under one who doesn't care where we live. He just doesn't. He doesn't even care how we speak. If you've got a dodgy accent, he just doesn't care. Instead, he gives us an abundant life. And an abundant life is one where the Holy Spirit is active in our lives. This is one of the three persons of the Godhead living in us. He changes our hearts. He makes us fruitful. Gives us gifts. Gives us power beyond anything that we could achieve as humans. And an abundant life is one where we're overflowing with a desire to share our joy with others. Other sheep lost in the wilderness that we, we want him to take on his shoulders and bring back to himself. We have a purpose. We're not just drifting through life. And finally, an abundant life requires a hope for our future. It's not just for now. And Revelation seven seventeen paints this picture, actually. And it talks about the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So the, th the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that I might have life and have it abundantly. The thief, the false shepherd, robs our joy. Destroys us with a lure of life that can never truly satisfy and leaves us for dead. But the good shepherd gives abundant life. A past forgiven and dealt with. A present relationship and a future hope. So in summary, we are sheep, we need a shepherd, we will have one whether we like it or not, but the good shepherd can save us from wolves and robbers, give you a relationship with him and abundant life instead. So back to that row at the festival, where did it finish up? Verse 19 um, of that chapter it says, there was a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he is a demon, he is insane, why would you listen to him? And others said, these are not the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. Can the demon open the eyes of the blind? It ends with division between these two 
sets of people. Why? Because they knew exactly what Jesus was saying, and some of them loved what they saw, and some of them absolutely abhorred it. <laughs> the thing is, they were, these religious leaders were literally professionals at reading the Old Testament. They knew exactly what God had said before in Ezekiel 34 and Jeremiah 23 and Isaiah 40 and Psalm 95 and Zechariah 13 and so on and so on and so on. Scriptures that, frankly, to me and you, bit obscure, not desperately familiar with them, frankly, um, but they would have known them inside out. And God had said that the coming Messiah would be like a healing, gathering, suffering shepherd king. And the Pharisees made the connection. They knew exactly what... Je you know, Jesus as the good shepherd would mean, and that would change everything. But they didn't buy it. They weren't prepared to be sheep that followed him, to give up their own followers and their own status, lording it over people, their control. They weren't prepared to submit to the good shepherd, the overseer of their souls. <laughs> and they tried to stone him a few months later. Now, we give the Pharisees a hard time slightly controversial, but we do. Yeah, they were a bunch of religious, legalistic, self-righteous hypocrites, but they got one thing right. They understood that Jesus, the good shepherd, was making a claim for their whole lives, a claim for their past, their present, and their future, for their reputation, their identity, and how they'd relate to others, and their purpose, their fulfillment, and source of joy. So if you're just meh, about Jesus as the good shepherd, you misunderstood. We're all following someone or something, and the gospel is the good news that you can follow someone who has lived the perfect life and died the perfect death, so you don't have to, despite the fact that you strayed. You can follow someone who knows you and walks with you even through the valley of the shadow of death, and who will one day return in power, wipe away every tear, and be eternally worshipped. You don't have to do anything. You just follow it. Know his voice. So it's the obvious question. Or questions. Will you give him your past, your present, your future? Your reputation? Your identity? Your relationships? Will you find in him your purpose? Your fulfillment and your source of joy? And that's my prayer for myself as much as anybody else, that I might be more and more and more set on being, walking and following the Good Shepherd more and more closely. And that's my challenge today. Are you?